Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Okay, church, are y'all ready to hear from the mother of the house right now? Come on, I want you to give the best welcome you can for the mom of the house, Pastor Carrie Weems. Okay, you guys are so sweet. You can take a seat, but before you do, would you welcome with me all of our campuses who are joining us? Thank you so much, everyone who's joined us um, at our campuses and online. We're so glad that you're at Celebration Church this morning. And um, I tested your water; it's perfect temperature. Right. <laughs> you got your towel here; it's all set up. Thank you. Perfect. And I don't mind if you take a long time, as long as I get all my minutes. You can't you take got my minutes. Right you can you take as much as you want before the clock starts. So, so anyway, um, yeah, and I, you know, you guys know I'm not a promoter. I actually hate to promote my stuff. But I long ago discovered that if I don't think the message of my book is important, why should you think it's important? And so I do think the message of Clueless is really important. And um, especially for moms, you know, because there are a lot of expectations we have going in to motherhood. And then without, I would say about 100% of us um, find out that it's different than what we expected. And um, I think if I had known some of these things beforehand, it would have really helped me ease into this. It's going to be a transition no matter what. But um, I think it would have helped a lot if I had known these. And I, honestly, I could. I could isolate all the principles in this book and put examples about women in general, men, um, single women, <laughs> about anybody, because they are principles of, of um, just nurturing your soul and keeping your soul right, your heart right during seasons of transition. So I hope that you will go and, and pick it up. But also, I'll be signing books after the 1145 Um, at the arena, and so I know that might not help many people, but for those who want to come back, I'll be here. All right, (laughs) so we're going to dive in today. I want to talk about covenant um, in the ancient Near East. The ancient Near East is the place where the Bible is set. It's, It's in the ancient Near East, and so we really can't understand a lot of what the Bible teaches us without understanding the context in what it was in in which it was written. Now, I wanna say that actually I had a really good message about the very first family ever created, about Adam and Eve, and I was just gonna talk about the Garden of Eden, but Stovall really wanted me to talk about covenant and generally what it is. So, if you're bored, you can blame him because he's the one that made me do this. Now, I I really wanna say, I'm, I'm gonna set this up, and at first it might seem a little bit like dry. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be giving you some stuff. I will have my um, notes uploaded onto the app later on today. Um, But if you will just bear with me and hang in there with me, it is going to unfold. What I'm teaching today is going to unfold at the end into a beautiful, stunning panoramic of what Jesus accomplished for us. So are you ready to dig in and hang in there with me? Are you up for it? Even though it's early in the morning? (laughs) All right. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We love your word. Oh, I'm going to pray. What are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> I'm literally praying right now. <laughs> I'm turn on my mic fast enough. So, so, so here, here's why I asked, asked her to preach on, on covenant and help us enter. Because we've been talking a lot about that, a whole lot about it. And um, we've been doing fragments here, here and there, but this is, is going to be just a great general introduction to this powerful, powerful concept that is, if we don't understand this, we don't understand our relationship with Jesus. 
And uh, it's going to tie into the Lord's table and being able to take that in the right way so that we can receive all the benefits that Jesus has for us. Thank you. I'll set it up like that next service. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Do you see what's going on here? He does. Okay. But that is a better way to set it up because everything he said is true. And so let's pray now and uh, thank Jesus for his word and we'll dig in. <laughs> Father God, we thank you so much for um, giving us your word and we love your word. And we thank you so much for revealing your covenant to us through your word. And I pray that we would lean in today and um, just be amazed at what you did for us. You didn't have to do it, but you did it. And Lord, we just will always be forever grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, covenants were a type of agreement in the ancient Near East. Now, I believe that covenant was always God's idea and that civilization just kind of co-opted it and took it and made it their own. But if you look at the Garden of Eden, all the components of a covenant are there. Even though it doesn't say that God made a covenant with Adam and Eve, all the basic components of a covenant are there. You know, you've got um, Yahweh, who's the suzerain Lord or the higher power, the one who's more powerful in that relationship, obviously. And then you have Adam and Eve, and they're the vassals or the lesser power. And then you have Eden, which is the land grant, which would always happen in a covenant. And then you have blessings for keeping the covenant, right? They have Eden, they have each other, they have dominion and authority, they have free reign, they have um, unlimited access to their creator and everything he provides. Can you imagine the ability to build civilization with God? He actually is inviting them to build civilization with him. And so you would have like prosperity without oppression. There would be no strong versus weak. There would be no um, one person, there would be no domination. There'd be no oppression. One person succeeds at the expense of another. That wouldn't even, that wouldn't even be success in that world. And so imagine being invited to create that alongside God, the creator. This was all there. And Adam and Eve had these blessings. And there was, as with every covenant, there are a set of stipulations. And there was, there was a stipulation in the Garden of Eden. They really had it easy <laughs> because there was only one rule in Eden and we know what it was. You can look at it, you can see it in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat for it from it, you will certainly die. So there's one rule, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that rule, was, that, that rule was there, the tree was there, honestly, because love without choice is not love. To make us in his image, God had to give us choice because God has free will, and he chooses. And so for us to be in his image, he has to give us choice. And that tree was there to communicate one thing, he's God, we're not. And at the end of the day, he is the one who sets moral authority. He is the one who says what is right, right and what is wrong. He is the one who says what is true and what is false. And we are not. Adam and Eve were not given that right in the Garden of Eden. They were given the right to obey God and then everything else. And it was this one rule. And we all know how that ended, right? I don't have to go into the whole story. You know, it ended with the fall of man. And then Adam and Eve, instead of bringing dominion and prosperity and health and flourishing to the earth, they actually had to be locked outside of the garden that they were, sent, they were made to protect and cultivate the garden. Now they had to be locked outside of it and they had to begin to live 
outside of the presence of God. Probably worse than anything else they lost was the fact that they lost access to the presence of God. Can you imagine how painful that would be? That you used to walk with, Jesus, with God in the evenings and now you can't see his face, now you can't walk with him, now you can't just talk to him. That's so sad. And for some reason that I will never in my life understand, instead of just leaving humanity to their own devices to work it out on their own till they died, God chose to start a rescue plan. He didn't have to do it, but he, he his, you know, I wanna just say today, if you ever wondered why you were here, the reason for your existence is love. Amen. The origin of your existence is love. You're not an experiment. You're not random. You're not just taking up space until you cross the line of eternity or it ceases to exist. You originated as a thought in the heart of the Father who created humanity from and because of love. And ultimately, it is that love which causes him not to give up on humanity, but instead to start a rescue operation that will take place over the course of millennia. Because guess what? God is extremely patient. He plays the long game, like the super, super long game. And he will wait. And we're gonna, we're gonna trace this through the Old Testament. And you're gonna see how God, he rebuilds his family piece by piece through a series of covenants which is amazing. So covenant is the way in which God chooses to start again, in a sense, and rebuild his family of people on earth because God, his intent was to have a human family that would rule the earth, that would have, live in the garden, that would take dominion, that would steward the world, the earth faithfully on his behalf and obey him. And at the first time he gave Adam a choice, Adam chose not to obey, but you know, in the end, God will have what he desires. In the end, God's will will come to pass. And he will have his family, and they will be a family of faith who obeyed him when they could not see him. And then they are gonna rule and reign with him on the new, on, in the, on the new heavens and the new earth. That will be established. God will have that, and he won't have it any other way. And so we see this enacted through a series of covenants. And so I wanna tell you a little bit about covenants um, today because I want you to understand this as we go through it as a church. So are you with me so far? Okay, good. All right, so the Hebrew word for covenant is berit or berit. I don't know exactly how to think it's berit. And it's an ag simply an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both make promises under an oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. Okay, so all that means is two people decide to make a, an agreement and they have terms of an agreement. Just like a contract would be for us today, but it means much more than that. But in, in the ancient Near East, this, instead of being called an, a contract, it was called a covenant. And, and the way that they, they did this was um, they, they, usually a higher party and a low, lesser party came to the table and they had things that they each wanted. Usually the, the more powerful party wanted access to the lesser party's land or people or usually the lesser party didn't really want it, but the higher power was like, no, you're, you're gonna become my family whether you want it or not. So that was kind of how it worked. But you know, what, um, what made this possible was this idea of fictive kinship. Can you say that with me? Fictive? Kinship. 
So here's the deal about fictive kinship. This is really the basis, the core concept around covenant. This is really what covenant was designed to do. So in the ancient Near East, the highest level of loyalty that one was ever expected to have was to their family, right? There was no loyalty higher than your family except for to your gods. And so what this concept of fictive kinship did was it took people that were outside of the family, right? And it made them family. By, 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 by the process of this covenant, it took outsiders and made them insiders. How many of you, if you were at Wednesday a couple of nights, a couple of weeks ago, you might remember I talked about something called the kinship circle. And the kinship circle was where all the resources were, all the um, provision was, all the protection was, and it was headed by the father, the patriarch of the clan. And if you were outside of that circle of family, you were left on the margins of society. You had nothing. And you would have to, you know, beg and glean from the fields. We see this in Ruth happening. We see, you know, if you, if you were outside of the kinship circle, if anything bad happened to you, someone took advantage of you, there would be no one to advocate on your behalf. And so what covenant was designed to do is it's create this family bond that doesn't really exist and turn it into a real family bond so that the two people in the family bond would behave like family to each other. And they would each have the responsibilities and the privilege that come with family relationships. And we definitely have this today, right? Because marriage essentially establishes fictive kinship. Hopefully you're not, mar- you're not related to the person that you're married to. That would be good, don't, we, would, we don't want that. But when you come together in a marriage covenant, what happens? You become one flesh. In other words, you're establishing a covenant that makes you family, right? We see this through adoption. Someone, adoption, you know, it has a legal component, but it's so much more than that, right? There is an impetus, an origin of love, and parents go seeking a child that they want to include in their family, but to make it legal, to bring them fully inside the family so that they have all the privileges of, the adopt, of being adopted and being in their family, they have to go through a legal procedure, right? You can't just take a kid and bring him to your house. That's called kidnapping. You will be prosecuted for that. So you have to go through this legal procedure so that this, this child can become part of your family. And once they're part of your family, you don't owe them, you owe them the same responsibility as any other children you might have. They're 100% equal in your family. So we understand this legal term, this way of legalities creating um, relationships, family relationships that didn't exist before. And it's very powerful. And so this is what a covenant was in the, in the ancient Near East. And there was two kinds, and I kind of touched on them already. One was a parity covenant, Is this on the screen? Okay, (laughs) I can't see it up there, so I'm like. um, So one was a parity covenant, and this is when equals came into agreement, right? So this would be like two clans, they come into agreement, they're equal in power, and their agreement is gonna be something like when these people invade us from the West, we're gonna bring our armies together and we're gonna bring our resources together so we can fight them. That would be an example of a parity treaty. And once these parity treaties were enacted, the members of the covenant, the covenant makers, referred to themselves as brothers. Because brothers are equal, right? And what does the Bible say about Jesus? He's our brother, the firstborn among many brethren, right? So equals. And you know, one of the things that um, Stovall said when he talked about his encounter with Jesus, one of the things that he said stunned him was the fact that Jesus treated him like an equal. But the covenant, that's what covenant does. It brings us into family, establishes a relationship that we couldn't have on our own. And then there's another covenant, and this is the one we're gonna focus on today. It's called the vassal suzerain covenant. And this was a covenant made between greater and lesser powers. And when people were in this covenant, this type of covenant, which is the most, this was the most common in the ancient Near East, they would call each other instead of brother, they would, it would be 
Father, Son, or Servant, Lord. So they would, they would use these words, Father and Son, to, in, to show their loyalty to this person is just like an, a firstborn son would owe his father. It was a very, very strong loyalty. And um, the most critical aspect of any covenant was the lower, lesser power, the vassal's loyalty to the higher power, the suzerain. Okay, so that was 100% loyalty to the person you were making the covenant with upward. Does that make sense? So if you're the lesser power, you owed complete loyalty to the higher power, to the king, right? Or who, whatever, it was either a king or an emperor or whatever. You owed your complete loyalty to him. Now, it was understood that the upper power, the higher power, the suzerain, he could have as many covenant partners as he wanted, because he's, like, he's powerful, right? That's how he uses his power and his advantage. But if you're a vassal, if you're the lower party, it was treason to, do, to, to uh, make a, a covenant with another person, with another higher power, with another king, with another land. And this was often the cause of warfare. If you did that, you would be punished as someone with, I mean, you would definitely pay for it. You would be, everything would be taken away from you. If you escaped with your life, you would be, that would be, you know, a miracle, if, you, if your family escaped with their lives, that would be a miracle. It was very, very, very serious to make a treaty with another king or another upper power if you were a vassal. You know what's so awesome about God, though? God, as, our, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, who can do whatever he wants, he doesn't use his power to his advantage. He uses it to our advantage. And the name of this, and the, the word for this kind of loyalty in the Bible is called hesed, hesed. You might've heard that before, but it has, it's in the Old Testament so much, it's translated to a lot of different words. You'll, it's sometimes love, it's sometimes faithfulness, it's sometimes mercy, it's sometimes loving kindness, if you ever wonder what loving kindness is. Basically, what, all, what that means, the best translation for hesed is covenant faithfulness. In other words, God doesn't make a covenant with us and then other kinds of people and have all kinds of different, you know, he doesn't use his power for his pleasure and advantage. When he made a covenant with Israel and when he made a covenant with his church, the bride, it was a one-to-one covenant. He bound himself to us in an irreplaceable bond. And we are to bind ourselves to him in an unbreakable bond. He made it a two-way street. And, and he binds himself to us. He's faithful to us. So when you read in the Bible, the um, steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You could read it like this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His covenant faithfulness never comes to an end. When you read your loving kindness is better than life, you could just put in there, your covenant faithfulness is better than life. Because in the ancient Near East, the suzerain, the higher authority, had really all the power to do whatever they want. They could violate the terms of the agreement. No one's gonna punish them. But God put his name above his word and he keeps his covenant forever and ever from generation to generation. Isn't that awesome? And that's why it says, that's why it says in the New Testament, it says when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's covenant Loyalty, when God makes a commitment, he makes a commitment. This is why marriage is so important. Yes, God allowed, you know, he was, God worked through an ancient culture, the ancient Near East, and there were multiple wives and all that sort of thing back then, but God never condoned it. He never said it was okay. Go research and see if you can find a place where God says it's okay. Never says it's okay. 
And when we get into the New Testament, when he's setting qualifications for leaders in the church, he said, he must be the husband of one wife. Why? Because Jesus is the husband of one wife. And our marriage cannot reflect Jesus and the covenant that he made with us if we're not loyal, if we don't have covenant faithfulness. And that's not to blame or condemn, but just to say what a powerful earthly representation that is meant to be. And so we're here, we have covenant loyalty. And I wanna tell you, just um, share with you a couple of what, what I call the language and features of covenant, all right? The first thing was every covenant had oaths. And the oaths were simply the covenant maker's obligations to each other, simple enough. The other thing that happened was every um, covenant was sealed by a sacrifice. What they would do is they would take sacrificial animals because they would, and, you know, from each person's religion, ones that were agreed upon. So if you both had goats, I don't know if you both sacrificed goats in your religion, then you would bring a goat. You couldn't bring like an ox and a goat or a lamb and a heifer. You had to bring the same animal, right? You would each bring one of the same animal and you would seal the covenant by cutting the animal up and and cutting it in half and cutting its legs and whatever off, right? And you would put it, this is how it was often done. They would lay the butchered animal like sort of like in an alleyway with half of it on one side and half of it on the other right? And they would call, each of them would call their deities or their gods as witnesses to this covenant. So the idea was that your gods would punish you if you broke the covenant. And what would happen is that the the lesser party, the vassal, would walk up and down between the slaughtered animal and all of his parts that were laid on either side. And as he was walking, he would hear the priest of the king, the king's priest, um, reciting, so shall it be to you, if you don't keep the terms of this covenant. And it would say, let's say the Anu was the vassal. He would, it would be, this is not the head of a lamb. This is Anu's head. If he does not keep the terms of the covenant with his Lord, so shall it be to him. His head will be cut off and it will be severed. This is not the shoulder of a lamb. This is Anu's shoulder. So when he's walking back and forth between this, he's hearing this read over him. It is a warning. Do not break this covenant because you see this animal bloody and chopped up This is gonna be you. This will be your family. This will be the people in your kingdom if you break the terms of this covenant. So it was a seal and it was a warning. And the other thing it had was they had witnesses. Like I said before, witnesses were called. They were earthly witnesses, but then they also called the gods of heaven. And we're gonna talk about this, how this shows up, this form shows up in the Bible over and over again, especially when we get to... um, we get to um, Exodus and see Mount Sinai. And then there was something called a deposit. And this is when the terms of the covenant were written on a scroll. They were sealed with wax and they were both taken to each kingdom and they were deposited in the temple of the God that that person served. So each, each person had a copy of the, of the covenant and it was seated before their gods in this temple. Now, if you're biblically, if you know what's going, if you've studied covenant, can you see some echoes going on here? Can you hear like, where's the covenant? Okay, you'll, you'll see this played out throughout the whole Bible. It's amazing. And the other thing they had, the last thing was called a remembrance. And the remembrance was the time every year or every few years when the king's representative would come before the people of the land of of the lesser power. And he would read, they had to gather all the people from all over the land that could come. And he would read the covenant to them out loud with all the terms, with all the blessings, with all the, the, um, the consequences of breaking the covenant. He read it out loud so that the people would not forget their loyalty 
to their Lord, the loyalty to, their, to the um, suzerain who gave them this covenant, right? So are you hanging with me now? Okay, good. So to honor and keep the covenant with one's suzerain was to love him. But to dishonor and betray the covenant was to hate him. Those were the extreme terms used. It was, it was very serious. And so, you know, you've heard Jesus say in the New Testament, you've heard this very, kind of a confusing scripture. It says, if you do not hate your mother and father, if you do not hate your brother, he doesn't mean hate. He says, if your covenant loyalty is to them instead of me, then you don't love me. Your, your covenant loyalty, your ultimate loyalty has to be to me or you don't love me. And so we see this, a, a version of this. We find Abraham in Genesis 15, we'll start at verse nine, participating in, a, in an exchange like this. And we're gonna look through it. I'm gonna show you how, it's, how it is and then I'm gonna hand off to Stovall. So many years after God first gave Abraham the promise that he would be the father of many nations and that he would be blessed and that the nations would be blessed through him and that he would have Canaan as his inheritance, it was many, many years later and none of that had happened yet. He had no children and he was basically like, he lived in Canaan, but he wasn't a citizen. So you could say he was a sojourner in Canaan, or maybe you could say he was an immigrant living in Canaan, but it wasn't his by any stretch of the imagination. And so in a, in a moment, in, um, that was back in Genesis 12. By the time we get to Genesis 15, 9, Abraham's like, okay, you know, I, maybe this isn't gonna happen. Maybe I'm just, you know, I left Ur and I've done all this stuff, but maybe somehow I've missed God or maybe somehow... Um, this just isn't gonna happen because it hasn't happened yet. Do we have any people that sometimes feel like maybe God's not gonna do this? Maybe he's forgotten. I've felt like that before. I'll be honest. I've felt like, hey, maybe that wasn't God speaking. Maybe that was me. Maybe, maybe I just made that up or maybe, you know, God meant that like in heaven that's gonna happen. I mean, just trying to justify why things haven't happened. And so Abraham looks up and he asks God this. He says, basically he says, Yahweh, oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess the land? God, how do I know this? How do I know that your word is true? And so God answers him in a way that Abraham can understand. And so in verse nine, it says, so he, Yahweh, said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought, he, Abraham, brought all those to Yahweh and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. Can you see how it's related to what I said before? Then it says, but he did not cut the birds. So that's just a detail. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. So can you anticipate what's gonna happen here? God is inviting Abraham into a covenant where God is the suzerain, the higher power, and Abraham is like the vassal, the lower, the lower power, right? And so you can see all the, all the features of a covenant here. They're both of the, both of the, um, Parties are there, there's a sacrifice, right? So here, here we go. And so it says this um, in verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep, deep sleep fell upon Abraham and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. So while Abraham is in a deep sleep, God is saying this to him. He, he, he reiterates, restates his, his covenant with Abraham and he also gives him some details that he didn't know before. And it says in verse 17, it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking, now listen, this is very important. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch 
which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river to the great river, the Euphrates. So here we have all the features of a covenant. The covenant partners are present. The animals are sacrificed. The stipulations of the covenant are set. You know, God cut a, he cut a covenant with Abraham. He made a berit with Abraham. But look at this. We know that the God of Abraham never broke his covenant. The God of Abraham never broke his promises. But the children of Abraham most certainly did. <laughs> they broke their promises again and again and again. But notice who it was passing between the sacrifices. Notice what went, but see, normally Abraham would have had to walk that path and said, may it be unto me and my descendants as was done to these animals if I turn my back on Yahweh, if I break the terms of my covenant with Yahweh. But you see, God had already put a man in the garden and he knew that man broke the terms of the covenant. <laughs> and so instead of Abraham doing that, Yahweh himself passed between the pieces. And he was saying, may it be done to me as it is done to these animals if, I, if this covenant is not gonna last. If this covenant breaks in any way, if there is not covenant loyalty to the very end, may it be done to me. I'm not even gonna ask you to do this. I will step in and take your place and I will let this be done to me if the covenant is not kept. God let covenant loyalty rest on his shoulders. Rest on his shoulders. And we have to ask ourselves, whose flesh was torn? Whose blood was spilled for the broken covenant of humanity? We all know who it was. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. He did it. He took the penalty. When we say he took the penalty for our sins, he took the penalty. He stepped in. It was done unto him. He, he was the one who got the wrath. Can you hear the, es the echoes of the gospel in this, this very early part of the Bible? Right from the beginning, we can hear the echoes of the gospel. And this takes us right here. And I wanna read this because we'll have a new revelation of it after hearing this. I love it. It was Jesus. And he went down as the representative of humanity, God in the flesh, and his flesh was torn and his blood was spilled on our behalf. So um, I'm gonna hand off to Stovall right after I read this, but Matthew 26, 27 through 28, well-known and well-known scripture says, and when he had taken the cup and given thanks, thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. You see? So here's the deal, blood of the covenant. So we think, oh, New Testament, New Covenant. No, Jesus is God. <laughs> and he's thinking back to Abraham. He's thinking back to Moses. He's thinking back to David. And he sees that every covenant God ever made with his people was broken. And when he says, my blood of the covenant, he was remembering that was my blood spilled out. That was a sign of my blood. I was saying that I would always take this place. May it be unto me because I'm not gonna leave the keeping of the covenant, covenant loyalty to man. I myself will be the bearer of that sacrifice and we're gonna, this, this covenant will be enacted. Amen? Okay, come up.
Well, I'm just, I'm just going to be about 10 minutes. Man, just to think when God walked, when he walked through that, the blood of the, the heifer on both sides and he's, he's making the covenant with Abraham and, and, and the, really all of mankind because we're the descendants of, of Abraham. And he's walking. Think what Abraham was thinking. Like, wait, the weaker party's supposed to walk through the sacrifice. So it be to, and God himself comes down and walks through there saying, let it be done unto me as was done to this heifer. If the covenant is broken in any way, Wow. And then Jesus came as a man. And that's what our sin did to him. He shed his blood. In our place, he never broke the covenant. We did. And that's why God is always faithful. And he doesn't ask us to be perfect. He just wants us to be loyal. And he wants us to be loyal and honor him. And and love him. Because he loves us. So I I just want to read this. And I I just kind of want to set up communion on Wednesday night. Put First Corinthians, uh, and and also whenever we're, we're going to start taking communion when we get into a regular pattern. It says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord." Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Let me input 1 Corinthians 10, 16, 17 up there. Look, it says, the cup of blessing that we bless, it is, not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Look, because there was one bread, we who are one body, <clears throat> we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So I want you to understand this. When, when we come to the Lord's table, okay, what did Carrie say? What was one of the things of the covenant? That every year they would have this act of remembrance. Okay, what did Jesus say? Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now let me, let me tell you what remembrance meant for the ancient Near East. What that means is that whenever they had this act of remembrance, they would remember the terms of the covenant, the sacrifice, they would take themselves back to the time when the covenant was cut and it was almost like a reliving or a reenactment as if they were there again. This is so, so important. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, it's like we're going back to that night when he was at the table with his disciples Watch, 
But instead of just the disciples being there, it's you. It's you. And you're cutting covenant with God. When you come to the table, you're cutting covenant with God. Understand Jesus already shed his blood. Understand that. But the act of remembrance means that you go back to that night when Jesus was at the table with his disciples and now you're there with them. And when Jesus is, this is my body and this is my blood, if you partake in that covenant, you're telling Jesus to go shed his blood for your sins because you want to be part of this beautiful covenant with God that is everlasting. So watch. Church, if we will take it in faith with that understanding, I'm telling you that the Lord's table is going to become a powerful, powerful encounter with the Lord where when you partake of the juice, listen, that is a cup of blessing. It is a cup of blessing. We just read the scripture. Some of you aren't, aren't you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not taking this in a worthy manner. So you're sick and some of you have died. Well, watch this. The opposite of that is also true. When you take it in a worthy manner, guess what? You get healed. Guess what? You get free. Guess what? You get life. That's, so watch. In Corinthians, all kind of crazy things were going on. So yes, there could be like some, some judgment, but here's what that also means. Paul is basically saying, look, some of you are still sick. Some of you are dying. You shouldn't be dying. You should be healed. Some of you are still struggling with this disease and you're still struggling with this, uh, this mental thing and this emotional thing and this past thing and this trauma thing. You shouldn't still be sick like this. If you're doing the Lord's table in a worthy manner, you should be healed because the blessings and benefits of the covenant are available you, to you at the table. Watch, it's not just a ritual. It is an act of faith of encountering Jesus and coming to him in his table and giving him thanks, and giving him. We come to give, and we come to receive. So you come to that table, watch, it's not about you, it's about him. But in making him about him, guess what? Jesus says, it's about you. It's about, I died for you. I died for you. I died for you for eternal life, for healing, for freedom. We wanna see all this, all this racism, prejudice, all this stuff healed that cannot be healed without the Lord's table. It can't, it can't, unity cannot happen without his table. You're not discerning the body right. What, the body, we're, we're, we're one body. Is, do you have something against someone? Watch. Some of you have not been able to forgive people for years. I'm telling you in Jesus' name, when you come to the Lord's table in the right way, you're gonna forgive them just like that in the name of Jesus because you're gonna understand how Christ forgave you. All 
the prejudice and the racism and the pride and the, the, all that kind of junk that we pick up from growing up, whether it's from friends or family or the news or whatever like that, when we come to the Lord's table, I'm telling you, there can be no schisms. There can be no divisions. We're, we're gonna get cleaned up from that. We're gonna get healed from that. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there, there, there are things in our lives we don't even know about. And God is gonna heal us at his table. Remember the woman with issue of blood? I'll close with this. The woman with issue of blood, and she said, man, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just grab a hold of his jacket, I'll be healed. And what happened? She, she pressed through the crowd. She grabbed his garment. And what did Jesus say? Man, somebody touched me. And the disciples were like, look, there's like thousands of people around you. I mean, everybody's touching you. And he said, no, this was different. Power went out from me. Watch, watch. There was no special power on the jacket, the garment of Jesus. It was what was inside the garment that had the power. And when that woman grabbed a hold of that, it was an act of faith of I'm encountering Jesus, the powers on the inside. Listen, yes, the bread is just bread. It's not transubstantiation. Yes, the juice is just juice. It, 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 it was made by Welch's or whoever we use. Are you following me that? But watch this. But when you come to the Lord's table in faith, there's power on the inside of that. There's life on the inside of that. Somehow the bread of life, the spiritual, comes into that bread. Somehow the power of the blood of Jesus comes into that juice. When you partake of the bread and juice, you're not just partaking of bread and juice. You're partaking of Jesus, his life, his essence, his power, his healing, his freedom, his goodness, his covenant faithfulness, his forgiveness. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be with you. He is always faithful. He is always merciful. You can't outrun him. You can't hide from him. You can't send him away and you can't push him away. He will track you down because he he is loyal to you through his covenant. He is faithful even when we're not faithful. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.